0: Yeah, I definitely think Iron Man has a, a lot of corollaries to just life in general and just obstacles you face. And if you can break things down in small segments and figure it out in a race, I think you can kind of do that in life as well.
1: Welcome to Running Is Cheaper Than Therapy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wita L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, Episode
2: 78. Today, I welcome an amazing triathlete, physician, mom, wife. Just an amazing person that I've been a fangirl of for a while. Tensia James, Dr. Tensia James. She was the youngest of four kids. She spent her childhood in Georgia. She started running because she wanted to spend more time with her father. Then she began to love it. She ran long distance in high school. And due to her hard work and tenacity, she was able to eventually outperform kids with more natural ability. When she graduated from high school, she knew she wanted to pursue a medical career. So Ron took a back seat. She did have a run as a walk-on, first two years at Stanford. She continued to run, mainly as stress relief, or just to get away from a stressful, hectic schedule while in medical school, residency, She started racing again after she had her first child. She qualified for Boston during her first marathon at Disney, of all places. She ran Boston at an amazing time of 3.11. That's amazing to think about. Over the next few years, she continued racing long distance. After having her third child, she wanted a different challenge and started something new. She hired a coach and started competing in triathlons. First was in Florida, then Ironman Chattanooga, and then she was hooked after that. Those are her first full distance races. She progressed, did some sprints, Olympics, half Ironman distance, ultimately to raise the full distance Ironman triathlete. She's qualified for many Ironman World Championship races in the seventy point three distance. Despite her hectic schedule as an emergency room physician, then a wife and a mom of three kids, she always makes time for family. They're first, and she tries to incorporate her kids into her training in most races. In two thousand twenty-one, she competed Ironman Tulsa, and I was there. I was supposed to race, but I was injured. She qualified for Kona. She's the first black female to qualify for Kona based on uh, times versus uh, the lottery system where you can do 12 full distance Ironman race and then you get placed in the lottery complete in a championship. They also have different organizations um, and different sponsors have slots. They give them to people. That is Sika participated in Ironman World Championships due to one of those slots and one of my other guests Roger Sewell participating in the Ironman World Championships with his organization Challenge Athlete Foundation. She is racing this October 2022 in the Ironman World Championship and I'm so excited. After losing her brother last year she decided to rethink her priorities, and after 15 years of working as an ER physician, she retired or took a sabbatical to venture out in other avenues. So it is with great pleasure that I welcome Tiencia James, Dr. Tiencia James, to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So we'll get started with running. My podcast is called Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, although I have a plethora of guests who run endurance race, who have skiers and people who have overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. But how did you initially start running?
0: I started running when I was really young, probably about between the ages of eight to 10. My father was a a very serious long distance runner. And so I started running with him. And that's how I I got my start. So did your dad do marathons? He did everything from 5Ks to 10Ks to um, marathons. He didn't do ultras or triathlons, but it was interesting because, you know, growing up, him and my mom had kind of a tumultuous relationship and eventually got a divorce. And when they got a divorce, you know, I discovered a couple of things that if I wanted to see him more than every other weekend... If I ran with him, I could see him every week. And then my dad was also really, really cheap. And so if you were a runner, instead of getting your shoes at Payless, you could actually get Nikes and New Balance and name brand shoes. So initially I started for all the wrong reasons. It wasn't that I wanted to run or I was interested. I had ulterior motives.
1: So you're trying to hang out with your dad and get nice shoes.
0: Yeah, but eventually it was interesting because, you know, I'm young, somewhere between, you know, eight to 10. And I'm going on runs with people in their 30s and 40s. Most of them were African-American, which back at that time, there was no black men run, black woman run. So it was very interesting to be around that. And just the conversations and the advice I got from a lot of uh, older people who were essentially mentoring me is what really spurred my love for endurance sports.
1: So what got your dad started in in running? What made him start
0: running? I think for him, his parents both died really young. I want to say they were in their sixties. And so he thought that he had bad genes and he, he wanted to outlive his parents. So he was always on this kind of health kick exercise, you know, diet, that kind of thing. And that's what really triggered him to get into that lifestyle.
1: So after you started running with him, did you race or was it just running with your dad and running on your own?
0: Um, Most of it was running with my dad and the group, but then they would do races a lot of the weekends. So I would go and do the fun runs. And then I started to get pretty good and I would do the 5Ks. And then by the time I got to high school, I joined the track team. And of course I was a distance runner there, which was unusual because the High school I went to was a majority black school and they really didn't have a distance program. It was all sprinters.
1: Okay, so you did a longer distance. Did you do cross country? Yes,
0: cross country and the one mile and two mile, anything shorter than that. (laughs) I didn't voluntarily do.
1: So you didn't like the shorter distance of sprinting?
0: No, I've always been a a distance runner. I think I like the training part of it. I, I, I like how you can kind of be in your head. And I also like the fact that it's not the fastest person who wins, that there are a lot of things that happen over several miles, a lot of choices that you have to make. So for me, it was a little more complicated than just see how fast you can go.
1: Okay. it's kind of like the strategy. So you mentioned in your bio that you never considered yourself a talented runner. What did you mean by that?
0: Um, you know, when you're in high school, you see those kids that don't do anything and they hit the track and they are winning races and setting records. That was never me. I never considered myself very fast, but I was consistent. I had a work ethic. And probably more than that, I had a lot of people around me who knew a lot about running. And so just through that, I was able to get better. And I think most people without talent, that's the one thing that's kind of cool about distance is that if you could just do it long enough <laughs> you will get better. You don't have to be the fastest person. You don't have to have, you know, fast twitch muscles or be able to sprint a certain speed. You just got to keep going and and you can build that over time. That's true. Unless you get injured, longevity is definitely something that you have to pay attention to. <laughs> so did you run in college? I did. I ran for 2 years, but then I quit the team. So When I graduated from high school, you know, I was valedictorian. So I was a straight A student and I ran cross country and track. I had placed at the state meets in both of those things. And so those were some of my interests. And I felt like when I graduated, I kind of had to make a decision. And again, I didn't feel like I was talented enough to go to the Olympics and didn't really feel because the talent wasn't there, even though the interest and the passion was that I really had the right to make it my main focus. So I decided to go into medicine and I always kind of kept that on the back burner. And so I did run cross country and track as a walk on. But then as I started to have more classes and chemistry labs, there was some tension between the coach and myself because there were a lot of uh, practices that I wouldn't be able to make. And it came to a crosswords where I just had to say, Hey, I'm going to do this on my own. And that was probably one of the hardest decisions at that point that I had to make because previously I had been trying to keep everything up. So did you run on your own your last few years of college? Uh, Yeah, I've, I've always ran. And actually that was kind of a turning point because I came from, you know, running with my dad and a lot of the people on the running group. To going to college, which was a very different transition. The way they ran and the way they taught me to run, I think really promoted longevity. It was more about getting out there because it feels good, doing the best you can, not being so hard on yourself. And when I went to college, it was completely opposite to the point where when I started, I loved running. And then it got to the point where I would look at my watch and be like, oh my gosh, I have an hour to practice, I have 30 minutes. To it wasn't fun. And the day that I quit the team, like I said, that was really difficult. I went to the coach and I told her I wasn't going to run. And she was kind of looking over my head at the other runners on the track as if, you know, she could care less, which honestly, she probably could care less. I wasn't a scholarship athlete. And after I left, I went on a 10 mile run and it was the best run I had had since I've been at Stanford. I went up to the dish, which is this really scenic Kind of mountain where you get to the top and there's cows and I went by the stable I mean I really found what I liked in running again, so from that point on, I think i I found kind of what I lost in those two years of running for the team, which wasn't really fun for me like it was in high school
1: and you continue to run in medical school and residency yeah,
0: so I never stopped running in medical school and residency I didn't race very much, so it was more of a way you know, just to clear my mind, you know, after a tough lab or on a day off, I'd go out into the Duke Forest and I would go for a three mile run or I'd go for a five or six mile run. No particular pace, no particular workout, just just to run.
1: So you didn't race?
0: Yeah, I didn't really race that much because we didn't have time. We're working most weekends and it was hard to
1: schedule. So after residency and a training and start. that's when you got back into more racing. Yeah,
0: that's when I got into racing. I started to do workouts. I guess I had my first kid at that point, And after I had my first child um is when I really started to increase my training because I wanted to do a marathon. And, and so that's when I, I got pretty serious where I was going to the track, doing workouts, and I had gone up to like 60 plus miles a week. And did a marathon and eventually qualified for the Boston Marathon, which was my goal at that time.
1: Did you have a training plan, a coach, or how did you schedule your workout?
0: I didn't really have a coach. I read a lot. Like I like to compete and I like to train, but I also like the science of endurance sports. So any running book, (laughs) <laughs> or endurance book you could think of. I've run. I guess that was uh, the Daniels running method. So there was a lot of different books that I had ran, and I had gone through a couple of their marathon plans and adjusted them for kind of the things I like to do and the workouts I like to do, and incorporated it.
1: Okay. So tell me about your first marathon, at Disney, and you did what? A three eleven? Was that? Uh, no, three twenty two. Three twenty two. Yes.
0: That was interesting. I mean, it was weird. We went up there for the Disney Marathon and, of course, brought my kids so we could all go to the park and enjoy it. And the day before, it was perfect. And the day of, it was cold. They had some cold front that came that was so bad that they lost a bunch of the oranges, like things froze over. Oh, really? How cold? It was probably in the 30s, the low 30s, which was not cold in and of itself, except it was unexpected. So, I didn't have cold weather gear. I didn't have my gloves. I went there thinking it was going to be, you know, 70 degrees (laughs) uh, to train. So that's what made it brutal. And being my first marathon, it was also shocking the sensation you get when you get to mile 20, which for anybody who does long distance, you know, (laughs) that's kind of a new sensation, especially when you're coming from doing 5Ks and 10Ks where you feel pretty good until like the very end. Mm Mm-hmm. So
1: that's impressive, especially with Disney. I did Disney, I think, half. And it's not meant for speed because you're turning in all these places and all these little parks. And then I don't know if you stop to take pictures with characters. A lot of people do. That's impressive, particularly at Disney. I don't know how the marathon route is, but it was so many turns. And I'm like, am I going the right way?
0: Yeah, it was a lot of turns and everything. I did not get to take pictures with any characters. (laughs) I do remember when I finished, I sat down and I just couldn't get up. And my husband was looking for me. I could see him, but I just could not stand up. I like stayed on the floor for about 30 or 40 minutes until he saw me <laughs> there and pick me up. <laughs> like I'm over here. <laughs> but, you know, a week later, I was like, I want to do this again. So I was kind of hooked at that point.
1: You were yeah. hooked after your I first one? I was hooked one?
0: after my first one. And then after that one, I was trying to do New York. Uh, and that was a whole debacle in and of itself because we bought the tickets. This was, I want to say, there was a, was it Hurricane Sandy? Was it 2013? I forget what year it was. 12 or but 11.
1: Because I think I did a marathon right before okay. that hurricane.
0: Yeah, it had hit already. And people were wondering, are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? But they said they were going to do it. So we got on the plane. We flew down there, checked into our $400 a night hotel we went to pick up our number and everything and people were taking pictures. And then when we went to dinner that night, we get a text that it had been canceled because I think there was a lot of politics about using government resources to put on this race in the midst of everything, which I totally understood. I just didn't get the last minute nature.
1: <laughs> yeah, they should have told you before you got there and spent money. And, yeah.
0: and so that that was rough. But um, but other than that, I did Boston and and that was an awesome race for me. Tell me about Boston. What year was it? Boston. I don't, I'll have to think and see what year, but it was probably one of the best years. I do remember who was racing because it was the year that Ryan Hall was there and I believe he placed. And then Mm -hmm. there was a sprint finish at the end and another American female, I'm trying to figure out, which one it was. Kara Guchar was there, but then there was someone else. And it, it was just an awesome race, like just to be a commentator. The weather was absolutely perfect. It was 60 degrees. There was a tailwind. So it was probably one of the best years that that you could have done it. And really, everything went perfectly. It was just such a really great race for me. I mean, the crowds, it was one of those races where you really get into a zone where you don't even really feel how much effort you're putting in. And then you look up and you're at mile 20. And that doesn't happen too often. Did you hit the wall at mile 20? I hit the wall, but I didn't hit it on the hills, which was my fear. So I got over the the Newton Hills. It was probably around 22 miles. And at that point, you're so close to the finish that you can kind of will yourself through at that point. Yeah. All of my kids were there. So it was a really special moment for me. So how many
1: marathons have you done?
0: I actually haven't done that many. So I I did another local one here in Warner Robins. And then I did one in California. And that was pretty much it. After that, that's when I started transitioning to triathlon.
1: Okay, okay. So what made you want to start doing triathlon?
0: I guess there was a couple of things. You know, at that point, I was up to 60, 70 miles a week. This is with shifts and with kids. And, you know, I was doing a lot of track work, a lot of things over and over again. And you just kind of wanted something different, but I still like the endurance nature of what I was doing. And so I started to think about triathlon and it was appealing because I'm not a great swimmer. I've never biked before, but I do run and it was a challenge. It was uh, kind of a fun challenge. Everything is a PR when you've never done it before. That's true. <laughs> The first year was just super exciting. Like it didn't matter how slow I swam. It was my best time.
1: So you knew how to swim prior to, did you take swim lessons?
0: I was on the swim team in high school, but I was not good. (laughs) So I only joined the swim team in high school because I had one too many near-death experiences in the water. And I was like, I need to learn how to swim. So I joined the swim team and actually didn't know how to swim. And I remember our first meet They taught me how to swim, but I still had this fear of the water. So on our very first meet, I remember being up on the blocks and they said, go. And the other girls dived in and I was just standing there and my coach comes and takes her foot and she kicks me in the butt and pushes me off (laughs) the block. And that's how I, that's how I started my first race. The other people on the team were people who did swim Atlanta and these year round programs. So they were pretty good. I was not good. You know, I did have a good engine and I eventually learned how to swim, but I never considered myself like a swimmer. And that was the extent of it. But at least I wasn't starting from zero.
1: Okay, yeah, I feel like I started from zero. I took lessons as a child, but they threw us in a pool and we made it to the shallow end. And that's all I remember. (laughs) And hating water going to my nose and hating getting my hair done.
0: That's all I remember. And then I stopped. I totally remember the hair, and it's funny because I went to a majority black high school in Atlanta, and the entire swim team was not black, which was funny because I couldn't get anybody on the team for a lot of the reasons you mentioned—the hair and everything. And at that time, I remember I had a perm, and by the end of the swim season, like my hair was blonde. People were asking me, "Was I dyeing my hair?" And I was like. No, I kept having to cut it, cut it. I had like a Holly Berry style. And then before I went to college, I just shaved the whole thing off. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot of things that keep us out the water.
1: Before I went to med school, I shaved my hair off,
0: which it wasn't about swimming.
1: I just knew I wasn't going to have time. I just wanted to do it. No one knows me. So I might as well do it. (laughs) It's
0: liberating, definitely. But that was the trigger for me. (laughs)
1: So you said you you knew how to swim, but you said you biked leisurely. But before starting traveling. no, track along. I never bike
0: leisurely. I like never bike.
1: Never, never, okay.
0: ever, never even as <laughs> a child. Ever uh, prob- first time on the bike was was training. No, for I track along. probably biked as a trial, but never never biked for racing or like road bike. Probably just the regular bike you have with no gears that you just go up and down the street as a kid. Okay. So did you
1: get a coach or did you just kind of research your own when you started your triathlon? Gym? No,
0: I got a coach. So this is probably my seventh year and I've had the same coach the whole time. Oh, cool. My okay. coach is Haley Chura. She's with Dynamo, but she's also a professional triathlete. Is she local? She used to be. She used to be in Atlanta, but now she's in Montana. But I really liked her because there's different kinds of coaches, personalities. You can have kind of the drill sergeant sort of coach. And I felt like I had a lot of stress coming from other areas of my life that I didn't need triathlon to be one of them. So her personality is more, I always tell her she should have been a cheerleader. It doesn't matter what you do. You could pass out in the middle of a race and she's going to find something good about it (laughs) and tell you how awesome you did. And well, at least you woke up at one point and you know, that's her personality. So it was just been really fun working with her.
1: You've had the same coach. So how did you find her initially?
0: I was researching local coaches in Atlanta. And to be honest, there's a group called Dynamo Multisport. And I looked at their website and their colors were green, which is my favorite color. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) I want to wear a green kit. So just based on that, I contacted them. And I think the head coach at that point was a former Stanford coach. And so we kind of had that connection because I went to Stanford and then we got to talking and he referred me to Haley. And the rest has been history.
1: Tell me about your first triathlon. What was it and how did you feel about the whole experience?
0: So when I first got the coach, I decided that I wanted to do a full Ironman, which is probably weird for someone who's not done any of those things. So I signed up for a full Ironman. But
1: You started, say, in, in June. How far
0: would say it was probably about eight months or so maybe eight months or so but then we went and we filled in my calendar with the sprint and olympic and we put some things before that to build up for it um, so my first race was actually a local race it was a blaylock it's a sprint here uh, in atlanta and it was really nice it's one of those races where they let all the the new triathletes start in the back so you have a really nice swim it's a very calm lake so it was a really good way to to get involved. And because it's local, you know, people weren't out there trying to kill each other to get a certain time. It was very supportive. So I had a ball. I had a ball. I think probably the hardest part for me was the first time getting into the open water and, and swimming in the open water. That was psychologically probably the toughest part of the race. The running, I, I felt totally fine with. What about the biking? The biking wasn't too bad. I mean, it's non-drafting. So it's not too scary. I didn't do anything crazy. I'm not one of those people. Even now, seven years later, you will never see me do a flying mount or any (laughs) fancy way trying to get off the bike. I just, I get on, clip on and go. So it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. And it wasn't a crazy bike course. It wasn't very technical, not too many hills. So it was pretty low key.
1: Okay. So were you hooked after your first sprint?
0: I was definitely hooked after my first sprint, but because it was a sprint, Again, just like going from a 5K, 10K to a marathon, you kind of underestimate what happens after a certain amount of time. Because I feel like um, a large part of long distance Ironman is nutrition and you really don't hit that until after you get past the half. So you can do whatever you want. You can eat. You cannot eat. And in a sprint, it's going to be fine in an Olympic, you'll probably be okay. It's not till you get to the other distances that you start to have problems. And and that was tough.
1: Your coach talked you through that or how did you trial and error? Because everybody has different nutrition. Everybody has different needs and everybody has different quirks. So what works for you may not work for somebody else.
0: Yeah. So she did give me a guideline of how many carbs I should try to shoot for an hour. And then I would test different things that I would or wouldn't tolerate it. But at the same time, I was coming from a running background and I did marathons and I did pretty good. So I had this false sense of confidence in terms of what I could or should do, which was really hilarious when I when I actually ended up doing my first full distance triathlon and it didn't work out so well.
1: So tell me about your first full distance.
0: So the first full distance I did was Claremont uh, in Claremont, Florida. It's the Great Floridian. So it's interesting because when I think of Florida, I think of completely flat and I think of ocean and it was completely opposite. It has a lot of hills. It's probably the only place in Florida that has hills and the swim is in a lake and it was pretty hot. And this was the first year. So I was still, I had come off of doing, you know, a lot of hardcore marathon training. So my run was really good. And so my coach was giving me all this advice. Well, I think you should start at this pace, which... I thought was too slow. I was like, I could run faster than that. (laughs) So I go into the race. The swim was fine. It was in a lake. I didn't have any problem at that point. I think I had gotten over a lot of my fear and it was a lake. The bike part was a lot hillier than I anticipated. They do have some very steep hills that come up and you have to hit them twice. And so I think I hit them a little harder than I probably should have. And then I got to the run and, you know, as soon as I got off the bike, I'm like, this is my jam. All right, we're ready. And I was just going. Now, my coach told me to start off slower, but I was like, oh, I feel good. So I was clipping through the miles, you know, eight minutes, 745. Now, keep in mind, I got off of a 311 marathon and this was years ago. I would never attempt this right now, (laughs) but I was just clipping along, clipping along. And before you know it, I was like third place overall. And then I was second place overall. And this I was going up to the mile 16. And I was like, I don't know what the big deal is, why people think this is so hard. This is fine. And literally in the course of one mile, I went from running 745 to barely walking and people giving me the slow clap and telling me, keep going. (laughs) And I think part of it was just being out there for so long, something happens to your body after eight to nine hours. And then also the nutrition starts to catch up with you if you're not doing it well, which I think I got so caught up in the racing part. I wasn't eating and drinking like I should have. And I I think I just really hit the wall because of that. So that was a a painful and and quite comical lesson. (laughs) to learn. By the time I got to mile 20, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like, this is crazy. People who do this are, they have a head problem. Something's wrong. (laughs) I was like, this is horrible.
1: (laughs) So what changed your mind after you crossed the finish line?
0: I kind of compare Ironman and and full distance triathlons to having a baby, you know, in the process, it's painful. And a couple of minutes before, You swear you'll never do it again. And then right after and you see the baby and everything, you kind of forget about all that you went through. And so it was almost the same thing. Like once I finished and once I got myself off the floor and I ended up still doing well, even though I crashed. I think what really kept me going was I knew I made so many mistakes. So I was thinking, well, if I could figure out, yeah, if I could figure out the nutrition part and the pacing part, if I slowed down like my coach told me to. (laughs) maybe I could do better. So it was that motivation of how much better could I have done and kind of figuring out all the different parts of triathlon beyond just the, the running, biking and swimming. True.
1: In season five, we will continue the segment as the doc. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal health, please email me. Send me a message via social media or click on my website and leave an audio message. Select messages will be answered on the segment. So when did you get to the point of qualifying for Ironman World Championship? You qualified for the half initially.
0: Right. After the first year, I qualified. And the first time I qualified, I kind of felt like it was by accident. (laughs) I did. I want to. Was it Racine? I feel like it was Ironman Racine. It was. It was one of those races. I, I believe it was in Wisconsin. And I went out there, and I remember I got out there, and I was looking into the lake, and it was really cold. I think it was like sixty degrees, and people were giving us all kind of advice how to warm up. And you know, I've never done cold water swimming, and I remember being at the start and and being like, "Dear Lord." Please help me with the swim. And I swear to God, at that moment, a bolt of lightning came out of the sky. <laughs> and there was no prediction that there was going to be thunder or lightning. It was supposed to be a good day. And the storm happened. So they had to delay the start of the race. And so they delayed the race to the point where the swim was canceled. And then the bike was shortened. I don't even remember how much of the bike. I feel like it was a 30 miles. So essentially, it became a runner's race at that point which was my jam. So I qualified, but I only qualified by like a few seconds. The girl was right behind me. And I know if there was a swim, I wouldn't have made it. So I did qualify, but I kind of felt like it was by accident. But then after that, I feel like I kind of got my bike and my swim to the point where I was in the thick of it for most races.
1: So how did you get your bike and swim to that point? Just training, your coach, multiple races, kind of trial and error, learning from your mistakes and doing it better the next time?
0: Um, I think kind of all three. I was training with Dynamo Multisports, which that's where my coach is from, but it's also a group of athletes here in Atlanta. So in terms of the biking, we did do some camps, which were really useful, where we'd all go to the Gaps, which is a really hilly place in Atlanta or in Helen, Georgia, where the mountains are, and, and we would do biking there. So A lot of it was just doing more of it with people who are a lot better than you, who are constantly giving you tips like, oh, you got to get out of that gear or, oh, you need to do this or try this. I remember one time I got so shaky on my first hundred mile, or they pulled into a gas station and they got me some candy and they were giving me advice about when to eat. And so I think that really helped a lot. And again, with the swimming, at that point, I was doing master swimming a lot.
1: So did you enjoy master swimming? Because I've heard plus and, and minuses about master swimming.
0: I think so. I love the people. That was awesome. I love the coach who unfortunately has passed away, the coach that was initially my master's coach. So honestly, I haven't been back since that happened. So that was good. What I would say is difficult, especially for a new swimmer, is that when you do master's programs, the whole hour or two hour workout is not fast right? You have drills, you have some other things that you do, but when you're not a good swimmer so that you don't tie up the lane and you keep up with people, everything becomes fast. And even when you do intervals, you might do intervals and you're supposed to have like a certain amount of rest, but when you can just barely make the intervals, then it's almost continuous. So that was somewhat stressful for me, (laughs) to be honest. So I think there are parts of it that's good, but I would prefer to do maybe... Two workouts on my own so I can go at my own pace, focus on the drills and then maybe do one master swim so I could pick things up a little bit. But honestly, I don't know that I would have enjoyed doing three days with purely master's group you know, now that I'm better, I might look at it again.
1: I went to my first master swim class the other day. It was good as far as continue swimming for the whole hour, but I was the same way. As soon as it got to the wall, I'm like, it's time to go again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought, and then I hadn't swum in a couple weeks because I was, I was sick, but I went to swim camp. So I was like, I feel like I need more consistency, more hardcore swimming. So, and I was in a slow lane, the so they just gave, came in my lane. It was only like five people in the class. That's one good thing about this place. It's, it's small. But I think it'll help going maybe once or twice a week and then doing my on my own. My coach is a real good swimmer, so I meet with him once a week. and It's slow, and he pinpoints and kind of helps me with my stroke.
0: I think definitely you have to see what your personality is. I know a lot of people get energy from that environment, so they'll go all the time. But, But yeah, it was quite stressful sometimes.
1: It might help me speed up, but I don't know if it will help with my technique. I think it might be get a good endurance workout, maybe once or twice a week. I'm going again tomorrow, so we'll see. You didn't scare me off because a lot of triathletes don't really like this class because it's mainly competitive swimmers.
0: But you could come and check it out. But they were nice when I was there. They do things a little differently and then they'll switch into different strokes and all kind of stuff. So, yeah, it definitely is interesting.
1: Yeah. And I'm not used to looking at the wall. I'm used to looking at my Garmin, but you have to do the wall. So I guess you can go with other people and so you won't mess up the flow. <laughs> okay. 30 seconds. Okay. I'm looking at my watch. No. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just, it's, it's totally different, especially coming from a running background where I'm used to going out my house and just having my mind clear and just going swimming with other people in the lane. It's a lot of stimulation. It is. It is. But. I think it
1: might help me. I need to get over my freak out because I I still have fear in swimming. So if I can get over and get stressed out and I could calm down with that, maybe I can calm down when I'm in choppy ocean water. I,
0: I think doing open water swims and open water swim groups is very helpful. I don't know if you have them where you live because I find that's not as stressful. People aren't trying to go a certain pace. And even the fast people, they'll swim and then they stop every so often so the group can catch up. But you're in open water, whether it's an ocean or a lake. And so you kind of get that level of comfort. So I've actually enjoyed that. It's just, it's so far from my house. It's not practical to do it often, but I do incorporate that a lot, especially when races are coming up.
1: Yeah, we do. It's a group that goes to this one place, which I don't like because there's no life gardeners down in the middle of nowhere, but my coach... Who lives in the suburbs, which is so hard for me to get to, but I try to go at least once a week, and they do actually techniques too. It's just not your job to swimming because a lot of people just go out there and swim for thirty minutes and you're done. and i don't I don't think that really helps overall improve, but I guess you need a combination of both. yeah,
0: definitely. I mean, I think all else being equal, you become a better swimmer by swimming more. So if there's something that gets you to swim more, like if you're so stressed out by masters that you end up not going, you procrastinate and you talk yourself out of it, you're probably better off not doing
1: it. Well, I pay. If I pay, I'm usually, I'm going to go. So I pay for 10 sessions. So I'm at least going to go to those 10
0: sessions. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it'll help. Oh, I definitely think if you go, it will help.
1: From reading your bio, are you the first black female who's qualified for Kona as far as Time qualifications versus legacy, or given a spot, yeah, that is impressive.
0: Yeah, and I didn't even really know that after I qualified my coach, and then some other people were like, Do you know? And I don't really know how they know, I don't really know who's keeping track, but um apparently, you know, I am the first, but I think this is a fairly young sport in and of itself, and then the diversity. Is also pretty young, so it's just amazing. The more races I go to, I'm seeing more people, and I think it's it's great. I mean, just different races, different sex, different kinds of people. I, I think eventually we'll get to the point where it will be like marathons and, and 10ks and, and that kind of thing. But we do have a long way to go. So, how
1: do you train at that level with your job being a physician in the ER? A wife, a mom of three kids, and like how do you fit it all in without losing your mind? But
0: it's an interesting question because I've actually switched things up recently, like literally in the last two months. But for the last seven years that I've been doing it, I have been putting it around shifts and kids and juggling it all, which you definitely can't do, but as you kind of alluded to, something gives and probably the thing for me is the sleep. So, you know, I would have a shift that I have to be in at six o'clock in the morning. And I would get up at three o'clock in the morning after sleeping for four hours and do an 18 mile run. I get back to my house at 520 and have just enough time to take a shower and go to the hospital. And literally I'm still sweating as I'm pulling into the parking lot (laughs) to get in the hospital. And I go start seeing patients because the night doctor is leaving and I don't really even have a time to sit and eat something until my relief comes in in a couple of hours. So you can definitely do it. But I think as I'm getting older, I'm seeing that the benefit that you get from the workouts is not as great if you can't do the nutrition and the recovery. And so it's physiology. You're trying to put a certain stress on your body so that it actually breaks down your tissues and muscles so that it builds back stronger. And if you don't put the right food in and you're sleeping four or five hours, you don't get that response. You just get tired. You don't actually get faster. So as the years have gone by, obviously I'm not going to sacrifice my kids. Like I'm I'm still going to be there. What I would sacrifice is my sleep. So this year after qualifying for Kona, I decided that, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I've actually retired two months ago, I would say. And honestly, I don't know if it's retiring as much as sabbatical. I think I'm done, but we'll see. And uh, it has been amazing. I'm not doing any more in terms of my workouts. I'm just sleeping. Like I I slept nine hours the other day, which I don't think I've done in 10 years.
1: (laughs) At three weeks, I had a sinus infection and two weeks ago, I had something, not COVID, but I slept for like nine and 10 hours just because I didn't have any energy and I felt guilty. It wasn't, I guess it wasn't good rest because I was landing. I need to do this. I need to do that, which I hate. I need to just rest. But you're thinking about all these things that you need to do or have to do, all these responsibilities. Sometimes it's just hard to just even rest, even when you actually, quote unquote, have the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, actually, you know, being a physician, you kind of understand the medical side of it, the physiology and that part. So it does give you a lot more to think about in terms of how you're doing your training and how you incorporate it in your life so that you could have longevity and it can be a positive thing and not a negative thing, which it definitely can become.
1: So since you retired, you've been focusing on your family training. What else is in store for you? You say you might be a sabbatical. You might go back.
0: You know, I think I'm just looking for, it's interesting. So, you know, I, my forty-five-year-old brother died last December. Very unexpectedly.
1: Sorry to Thank hear you. that.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, I know that you've had, you know, some similar experience. But it's one of those things where you're kind of on this treadmill. If somebody turns it on at some point. Maybe it's you, and you just keep going. You know, you got the kids, you got the family, you got the job. You like your job. You don't hate your job, but you never take a pause to look at all the things you're going and to see if your priorities are still lining up with your personal values. And after that happened that really caused me to just kind of take a step back at just life in general and and just look at the point that we all get a limited amount of time on this earth and we get to decide what kind of experiences we're going to have and you know at that point I've done emergency medicine for 16 years. Obviously, it has its issues. I mean, we could talk forever about the problems with healthcare, but it always had its issues. But especially with the athletic side, I've always had to put it on the back burner. It was never something that I could focus on. And after I qualified, I was like, well, if I'm not going to go for it now, when am I going to go for it? When I get sciatica? You know, when my knees go out, you're not really guaranteed anything. Health is such a transient thing. And so mm-hmm. when that happened, it just really gave me permission to say, you know, I don't really have to know what I'm gonna do. I just I'm it's okay to be curious. It's okay to have a different experience, you know, it's okay to go for dreams, even if they don't make sense to anybody but you. And so that's what this year is for me. It's not only about necessarily Kona, but it's about just discovering, you know, what I could do outside of all these things that I've, I've kind of, I won't say limited myself, but I've, I've blocked myself into over the past 16 years. And endurance and sports has been a passion of mine forever, even outside of my own competition. And what can I do with that? Can I create a business? Can I create something that I'm excited when I see it on my calendar. I'm not tired. I'm not exhausted. And can I create something that also works for my family? And so that's what the next couple of months for me is. So I don't know where it's going to end up.
1: It sounds exciting. I'm excited for you. because. Like I I was telling you, I could relate to you. You were trading shifts to ride your bike. Because sometimes when I'm at work, especially when the hospitals I work, I want to be outside. And I used to sometimes ride my bike to work. I'm sitting here looking at my bike.
0: (laughs) It's just the weirdest thing. Like, you know, I was, you know, working and I eventually got promoted to uh, be associate director. So now I'm doing all these meetings and things like that. And I would be sitting in the meeting That would happen in the middle of the day. And as an ER doctor, it's not like other physicians where you're there anyway, and then you step out to do a meeting. You're off. You can't do meetings and be working. So you're off at home and you have to drive in for this solitary meeting. And you're sitting there and it's 80 degrees. The sun is out. The birds are chirping. And literally, I felt like Charlie Brown, where everything they were saying was like, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, this shouldn't be happening. But really, I just wanted to go for a run. I just wanted to get on a bike, not even with anybody, just by myself. So eventually, I just kind of gave into that, which is kind of what I'm doing now. It's interesting. I'm excited for you. I really am. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm excited to just get to control my schedule a little bit more on a day-to-day basis and just kind of see what happens. The one thing about my brother, it's it's interesting. We were... Totally different people, completely opposites in every way. You know, I was the one that, you know, I I went to college and I became a physician, valedictorian, and I kind of did everything by the books. And he was the one that didn't care about any of that stuff. Like he lived life on his own drumbeat. He didn't really care what he was supposed to do, what people expected of him. And for years, you know, it was this interesting dynamic between the two of us because I used to get so frustrated and I would tell him he need to get his life together and this and that. But after he passed away, I realized that probably I'm not the best either, that really someone more in the middle. Like I, I really admired his ability to just go for things and not be worried about all the other stuff. And I think that really is what gave me the confidence to say, you know what, there's other things that I could do. I don't have to explain it to anybody other than my husband and kids. I can just do what feels right. There, There is no hero cookie at the end of the day for sleeping for four hours or for working on Christmas Eve or getting text pictures of your 10-year-old's birthday party <laughs> while you're, you know, resuscitating people. And, and I've done that and I'm ready to have kind of a different experience. I'm ready to be that crazy mom with the kid's face on a button at their events that they don't even want me there. They're embarrassed. Like I'm, I'm ready to do that. And so that's what I'm looking forward to in the next couple of months and seeing where it goes.
1: So are you doing Kona this year?
0: I am. So Kona for me is uh, October 6th. This is the first year that they're doing the two-day format where they're doing women on one day and the guys on a, well, mostly women on one day. I think there are some male age groups that are going to be in the first day, but they're splitting it up. So uh, I'm really excited. They gave us the option of doing St. George in May or Kona in October. So I I selected Kona.
1: I want to come. One of my friends uh, was a physician for Kona. Quinceca did it, which I think was what, two
0: years? Oh, yes. Yes, I remember that.
1: He was one of the um, doctors. I need to ask him about it. Maybe I can come over there and
0: work you definitely should. I, you know, I'm really excited. And for me, it's not so much. I mean, I definitely have some goals, various goals that I want to accomplish, but it's not really even the race. It's more about the journey. You know, it's more about mm-hmm. just the things that happen in between. And I will say this year has probably been the most enjoyable of all the years because I have a whole different perspective on racing. It's not necessarily about the time or the place. It's just really gratitude of being able to be out there. I did Ironman at Des Moines this year, and I had a horrible race. <laughs> did you? For me, it was horrible. So I don't define a horrible race by time. I define a horrible race by if the wheels come off. You know, So there's some races where even though you're slowing down, we all slow down, you're still able to kind of keep going. And there's other races where you go from running to walking to not even knowing if you want to finish. <laughs> And that was kind of Ironman Des Moines. And I don't even know why, because my training was going well. Everything was fine. The swim was okay. The bike was pretty good. And it was 93 degrees by the time we got to the run, but all these races are hot. And I was feeling pretty good up until the half marathon. And then just for one reason or another, I just, I went from running to walking and I made a lot of friends, which was funny. There's this one guy that I was walking with. And at one point, We were looking at each other and he was like, do you think you can run for 30 seconds? And I said, yeah, I think so. So literally we ran for 30 seconds and then we started walking and we just keep talking. And then I'd say, you think you could run for a minute? And he was like, I'm not sure. I was like, okay, let's give it a try. And we did that for almost like five or six miles. Like it has never gotten to that point in other races, but it was fun because my mentality was different. And I was like, one day, neither one of us are going to be able to do this anymore. You know, but today's not that day. We might walk the whole last half of it, but we're healthy. Nothing hurts as an injury. You know, we're just tired. <laughs> it was definitely different, a different feeling. I think I just had a lot of gratitude and appreciation for going to these races where it's not so much about the time or the place. It's really just the experience. That's a great outlook
1: because it's interesting. I've had so many injuries, but my last two kind of wiped me out. When I was first started running, I was all about time. I wanted to PR every race. Triathlons, I'm I'm happy to make it to the finish line because I'm kind of new in the journey. And if I make it out to swim, I'm I'm good <laughs> to go usually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but I'm like, if I make it back, because I did Ironman Louisville and swim was canceled, do I wanted to do another Ironman? So, but then it was, what did I have? I had some weird thing with my heart, which wound up being nothing. So I couldn't train when I was going to do Tulsa. I think the year you did Tulsa. And then I had two knee surgeries. So it's been like two years since I've really been able to race. So next year, I'm praying that I can get back into, I like longer. I don't know. I think I like the challenge. I like sprints and stuff for fun, but I like the challenge of halves and full
2: distance.
0: Yeah, I definitely think Ironman has a a lot of corollaries to just life in general and just obstacles you face. And if you can break things down in small segments and figure it out in a race, I think you can kind of do that in life as well. So that actually brings
1: me to my next question. Part of my podcast is to have guests who overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. Can you tell me about an obstacle that you had to overcome, either it be running, triathlon related, or just in life?
0: I mean, I've had a lot of various obstacles. I think I'm trying to figure out if I should do life or <laughs> uh, triathlon. You can do both. I mean, I guess... You know, for triathlon, definitely one of the biggest obstacles for me is the swim. And I think it's one of those things, you know, when something is difficult for you, you have two options. You can go towards it or you can go away because it scares you. And in the beginning, I would kind of go away. So I would procrastinate to the point where I would miss my swim time. Like, I didn't know I was really doing this. It was a psychological thing, but I wouldn't. Not make the swim because of just the stress, the anxiety. It's not something I like to do. I never missed a run. Like it could be two degrees outside, lightning and thunder. Somehow I always got it done, but a swim, it would take very little. And oh, I, I can't do it. And so over the last couple of years, I was like, you know, you can be miserable for the first part of every race, or you can embrace it <laughs> and you can love it. And it's not about being good at it, it's about really enjoying it. So I've started. Recently, where I'm doing it more. I've actually asked my coach, I was like, Yeah, I actually want a swim focus program. And so instead of swimming two or three times, I'm swimming four times. I might do extra swims, but they're not long. I've done a swim camp in Thailand. I've gone to do some open water swim races, things that have really pulled me out of my comfort zone. And I, I think I'm getting to the point where I actually look forward to the swim. I'm still not super fast, but I'm no longer afraid of it. I feel like, okay, I got this. And that has been definitely, you know, a a long journey for me to get to this point. Okay.
1: That's, that's where I'm trying to be. I just want to be comfortable and not freak out and be okay in any situation. I mean, not be super confident, but not freak out and be like, I got this. And not freak out. And sometimes when you get nervous and anxious, it takes away from the rest of the race because it just drains your No, it
0: it does. I always uh, think that you have only so many heartbeats to use during a race. And if you get your heart rate up to 150, 160 in the swim, you know, the bike in the run is just not going to be that good. And it doesn't matter how fast or slow you do the swim. But if you get yourself all worked up, so a part of it is just getting to the point where you can go out there and comfortably do the swim. I mean, you don't have to be Katie Ledecky or Simone Manuel, <laughs> you know. But a lot of times, it's not even the physical effort; it's the mental anxiety that will get you going before you even get in the water. So, definitely getting control of that is is huge. Not necessarily a life obstacle, but something that I've really um, tried hard to is just you know how to go after a goal especially an athletic goal and not have it take away from my family. And that has been something that I've really focused on. It was interesting because, you know, my father, he was so obsessive about it, which was good. Like he knew everything. He read every book. I mean, he's like a wealth of knowledge, but he even admits to me in his older age, he's 75 now. Don't ever let it get in between you and your family. You know, if you have a workout and your kids need to do something, always pick the kids. And it's funny that he gave me that advice because he did the exact opposite. And I feel like it was probably a large reason why him and my mother got a divorce. And even though we ended up being very close because I ran, the other my other siblings who didn't run got less of him. And I think there's some regret there of, you know, kind of how much he was away going after this goal, which at 75 really doesn't mean that much to him. If you ask him what his fastest marathon is, I don't even know that he would remember. And so for me, running and triathlon has always been a balance of, you know, how fast can I go? How good can I be? But not letting it isolate me from my family, not letting it pull me away from things that are more meaningful. So If anybody ever follows me on Strava, you'll see that a lot of my workouts, my kids are there. I I do runs and I'll bring my kids. I let my husband a lot pick the races that I do, and they're usually kid-friendly races or places they want to go. So we always go to Chattanooga, and that's one of the toughest run courses. But they have the aquarium, they have the children's museum, they have all these things at the finish that the kids can do. So that's what we do. It's interesting because I think the more that I can incorporate my family into my training, it feels like our journey, not my journey. And when I get to the races, everybody's celebrating because they all have a piece of it. And so that's been something that's been very tough to balance. And obviously now that I've retired, uh, it's a lot easier because I don't feel like I have to pick and choose as much. That
1: makes sense. I just had Zaza and she was saying some of the same things. Their whole family and corporate, they all have team goals and they all support each other and they all do races together. And they've all done triathlons together, even though it's not her kids thing or her husband thing, but they do races and stuff together as part of their family time. And I think that has.
0: I definitely think that's awesome. I mean, my youngest one, she, (laughs) it was funny. We were doing a race and she was like, mom. And I said, what Sage, what's going on? She's like, Running is not my thing. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You were just born into the wrong family. Unfortunately, you just got to do it. You don't have to be good. That's just what we do. (laughs) So there is that, but it's nice still having them there. And it also gives you a reality check. Sometimes you can get in these races, especially when you're trying to be competitive, and you can get all caught up in what's going on, how fast you're going, if you had a good bike split, or if it wasn't fast enough. And when you see your kids at the finish line with their little hands stretched out waiting for a high five, you realize how little any of that matters. They have no idea if I won the whole thing or if I came in dead last. Like they have no concept. I finished my first full distance. And when I finished, you know, obviously there's people in front of me and they're like, did you win? (laughs) They have no idea. And so I was like, well, if they don't know, and if they don't care, then why should I care? I'm just going to smile and say, yeah and enjoy it. So it it, it pulls me out of a lot of that, which I think is good. And I think that helps with preventing burnout and just longevity in the sport is to not take it so seriously.
1: That's true. It's supposed to be fun. Although sometimes with all our aspirations and you know, you mean well, but it's, you take the fun out of it when you make it too technical like it's a job. Yeah,
0: exactly. And a lot of us are type A anyway, high achievers in other areas of our life. So obviously, when you put us into triathlon, it's not going to be any different, but it needs to be. You know, you need to have some enjoyment. It needs to be fun so that you'll keep doing it enough so that you can get better.
1: So if your present self could go back and give your younger version advice, what would you tell yourself?
0: athletically, I wish I knew more about rest and nutrition and recovery. I think when you're younger, you think the most important thing is the actual workout. And, you know, you want to see how badass you can be. Can I do, you know, a 10K swim? Can I do a hundred mile bike? And you like to brag about that, but really it's not the big workouts that make you better. It's the recovery and rest After the workouts that make you better and the consistency. And so you don't have to do all this crazy stuff. You just have to keep doing it and recover. And I think for years, I kind of missed that. And obviously, I I did okay. But I think there was a huge potential to do better in my youth had I focused on that more.
1: That's true. I wish you could have told me that when I first started rundown, I wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I, it's, it's always funny because people post their workouts and I love when people post their workouts because you just never know who you're motivating. I mean, there's someone that's looking at it that should be swimming. That's procrastinating and they see you got in the pool and it will motivate them to go to the pool. But when you look at what they're posting, it's always interesting. They'll post some workout. And then if it's Garmin or uh, one of those programs, it'll say four hours of sleep. And I'm like, what are you doing? You need to sleep more. <laughs> But nobody focus on that part until it, it eventually will catch up with you. And, and so, yeah, I think there is a need for, for that part of it to be stressed, especially as you get older. There's a lot of things you can do when you're young that you just can't do anymore after a certain age mm-hmm. and get away with it. <laughs> I can attest to
1: that, too. Any last minute words of advice for my listeners?
0: I would just say that keep having big goals But I always kind of compare it to the swim, which is funny because I'm I'm learning to love the swim. But when I first started the swim, I was not bad just because I was slow. I was bad because I wasn't sighting. And so I would swim more than anybody else in the actual race. And as I got better, what I would do is I would do one, two, three, look up. One, two, three, look up. And notoriously, every time you look up, even though you feel like you're going straight, you're starting to drift a little bit so you can kind of reset. I feel like in life, we don't do that. We just keep swimming. And something that whether it's your career or whatever else you're doing outside of sports, it may have started as a good idea. It may have started as exactly what you wanted it to be, but you never do that check-in. And so you just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. And then one day you look up and you're so far off from where you want to be, or you don't even know why you're swimming in that direction. So I think that Just, you know, whatever goal you have in life, whether it's athletic or personal, is that you have to take a look every now and then and make sure that you're going in the right direction. Make sure that maybe you need to reset. Maybe you need to reset your goals. Maybe the goal you have is no longer relevant. Maybe you're a different person and that's okay. And so I think just this society where we are in this go, go, go and do more it's really hard to do that unless you become very intentional about it. Um, and so that would be my biggest advice. And it's something that I'm going through at the moment is just kind of taking a pause on everything and thinking, OK, what do I want to do next? And am I still going in the right direction?
1: That is great advice. And it's interesting how sports and athletics parallels life because I learned so much, especially from a struggle, kick my butt race that when I have a, a bad day, I can take some of those things, same things that I endure in a race. Hey, okay, I made it through that. I made it to the finish line. So I, I can deal with this bad day, this bad outcome, this distress that's going on. So it's interesting how sports parallels life.
0: Definitely. Definitely.
1: So thank you for joining me again. Well,
0: thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to get to talk to you a little bit more, especially after seeing you in person at Rev 3 that wraps up this episode
1: of running is cheaper than therapy podcast thank you for tuning in if you already haven't please download running is cheaper than therapy podcast on apple spotify or however you listen to your favorite podcast if you have any questions concerns or possible show topics Please email run it is cheaper than therapy O L V Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Run It is Cheaper Than Therapy Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. OUI Life, OUI Love. Thank you, and please tune in again.